glad to be here. This is my second Sunday service um, without any sort of restrictions. Mask wearing, attendance restrictions, big red circles that we all got to stand on in the floor. And so it feels really good to be in the house of the Lord. I hope you're enjoying being in God's presence. Um, there, are, there are people that, that, uh, they, that right now, I know there are people because they're in Hamilton. They don't get to shake hands, give somebody a hug, give them a high five um, in, in church. But you get to. And so that is a, I've decided to walk into the season not taking anything for granted when it comes to gathering together with God's people. Amen. I want to preach to you uh, for a few moments from Mark chapter 10. Again, it's so wonderful to be here with all of you. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 23 through to 25. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. With the help of the Lord, I want to preach to you for just a few moments on this subject. Camels, needles, and impossibilities. Camels, needles, and impossibilities. Jesus, we love you. Pray you'd be with us here today by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray you touch my mind, touch my body, touch all of our hearts that I would be able, Lord, to deliver this word the way you have convicted and challenged me with it. I pray, Jesus, that we would have hearts to hear and ears to receive. Lord Jesus, what, what you want to say and speak into your church today. Be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. You may be seated. Camels. There we go. We got the photo up. Camels. I, I love camels. They are funny. They are hilarious, even. I mean, certainly God had a sense of humor. I, I mean, look, look at that face. Look at those eyebrows. It's more like just a, a bush that has run amok. Camels are funny creatures, and nothing can break a sour mood of a room quite like a good joke. That's probably why, dads, we have so many um, of the corny jokes known as dad jokes because we know there's nothing like a good joke to break the mood. And Jesus, in verse 25, makes a joke or at least gives us a funny illusion that we will look at in a second because Jesus has just shook the crowd. He has shaken the room with a wild challenge. A rich young ruler has just been humiliated in the presence of the onlookers. He has come to Jesus and he has asked, he has, he has asked, what must I do to enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus gives him an answer that he did not like. And he is sent away heartbroken. He is sent away embarrassed in front 
of the onlookers because he was unwilling to respond to the call of Jesus to forsake all and to sell all and to follow him. And this rich young ruler doesn't just slump away with his shoulders drooped and his head hanging low after a private conversation with Jesus. No, this is a public conversation with Jesus. It is an awkward exchange with Jesus. And he just has walked away. And I can imagine the room is silent. The crowd is silent. Everyone is staring at their dust-covered toes and their sandals as this is an uncomfortable exchange. Now, what I guess what the business world would say an emotionally intelligent thing to do would be to quickly change the subject, but Jesus does not always follow convention. In fact, often he breaks it. And rather than changing the subject, rather than, rather than moving on to something else to talk about, Jesus, as the crowd is watching this young man with his shoulders low and his head hanging, walk through the crowd, Jesus leans in to the subject. And I'll read from the New King James here this morning. He looks around, he pauses, he looks around to his disciples and says, How hard it is. For those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. He leans into the awkward moment. He almost, as it were, points his finger out at the man that is walking away. It says, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And verse 24 says, and his disciples were astonished at his words. And the King James, it says, they're exceedingly astonished at his words. In verse 25, he doubles down and uh, he says, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He says, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus drives the conviction home because he says, not only is it difficult for those who are rich, but it is also very hard for those who put their trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Not just the wealthy, not just the affluent, but all those who want to be, all those who put their security in wealth and their security in money. How hard it is for them to enter into the kingdom of God. At this point, they're really staring at their sandals now. This is an intense moment with Jesus because no one is exempt. No one is exempt from his challenge. Not only does he say the rich, but he says those who want to be, those that every time they see the nice car pass by, every time they drive by the nice neighborhood, they go, I wish I had some of that. I wish I could have more of that. No one is exempt from this call. But with, I imagine, a twinkle in his eye, Jesus decides to break the sour mood of the room with a hilarious analogy. He says, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to 
entering into the kingdom of God. This is a joke. Jesus is being funny. He's not being, he's, he's being serious in his message. We'll see in a moment, but this is kind of funny. Because after all, camels look like that. Camels are the biggest land animals in the Middle East. They also are known for being notoriously grumpy. They are grumpy. They were flatulent. They were stubborn. And they are awkward. And there is nothing that a camel does that is elegant. Camels make the beauty of the majestic Canadian moose look elegant. I mean, look at that face. That's a face only a mother could love. And even then, she'd need to squint just a little bit. Camels were the grumpiest. I, I don't know if you've ever been on a camel. My dad has ridden a camel or two in his travels, and he has told me there is nothing graceful, there is nothing elegant, there is nothing nice about a camel. And the mental picture of this hairy mess of knobby need awkward grumpiness trying to squeeze through a narrow space as it bellows and burps is just funny. Everyone would have been familiar with camels. Everyone would have known that they stink, that they're grumpy, that they are awkward, and no doubt this humor broke the mood of the room. No doubt this little joke, it, it found a way to break the tension after they had just watched that rich young ruler, after they had just watched that affluent young man walk away from the Messiah because he was unwilling to respond to the call of disciples. I don't know about you, but I chuckled when I read that particular verse as I imagined what it would have been like for a camel to try to squeeze through a tiny, tiny space. But the funny joke also drove home the point as it sets up the sheer impossibility of those who are rich or those who put their trust in money to ever be able to enter the kingdom of God. I, let me make the point, and I know it is an uncomfortable thing to say, especially in North America. It is nearly impossible for those who are rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven because money and wealth is so intoxicating. Riches are intoxicating and distracting. And Jesus warns us that the love of money is the root of all what? Evil, we know this. Money breeds pride. Money makes us feel proud. Money breeds superiority over others. Can you believe it? What other possession, what other thing other than money and the success that money brings and the possession that money brings can make, a, can make another human being made in the image of God feel like they are more superior or they are greater than another human being in the image of God? Why is it? How is that possible that we could look at the humble abode of one person's home and we can look at the greater square footage we have or the money we have in savings or the car that we drive and we can feel that another person for whom Christ died is somehow lower than we are. That is the intoxicating allure of money and wealth and riches. Money can make you confident in yourself instead of confident in God. When you got it together, you feel like you really got it. 
You can go, I earned this. I earned this life. I got here by myself. The things that I own, the stuff that I possess, these are my things. This is my money. This is my life. It can be addictive because, and I say this to all the gentlemen in the room, money can bring us power, and that power can be intoxicating. But with money can also come spiritual baggage. It can come with distractions. It can come with temptations. The chasing of it can make us lose sight of the beauty of the kingdom of God and the call of heaven to forsake all and to follow Jesus. And being a successful follower of Jesus while worshiping at the idol of success and the idol of wealth is as likely as a hairy camel squeezing through the eye of a needle because you cannot serve God and your things. You cannot serve Jesus and money. You cannot worship God in your 401k. You cannot serve God and also worship at the altar of Amazon or Target. You cannot be obsessed with things and at the same time be enraptured by the cross. You cannot be obsessed with getting more stuff and at the same time be captured by the beauty of the blood of Jesus. You can't believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And at the same time, put your hope in your money. You cannot be in love with Jesus and at the same time be in love with the world. To do so would be to make yourself a camel and try to squeeze through the eye of a needle. This is why the disciples, when they heard Jesus' message, said they were greatly Astonished, verse 26. They were greatly astonished at his words. And I can hear one of them. I imagine it was Peter. I don't know this, but I imagine because he was always the one opening his mouth first. Exclaims to Jesus, or exclaims amongst themselves, verse 26 says, Who then can be saved? got to love the disciples the rest of us would have been like in the crowd yeah those rich guys they're the worst they're not going to have they're not going to see heaven they're not going to get into heaven you know, all those rich guys they're the worst look at all those greedy people that are out there in the world look at that man that just walked away from us the crowd may have thought but you gotta love the disciples you gotta love whether it was James or John or Peter they do not respond in judgment at other people when they hear this call they feel conviction I imagine Peter's the one that feels conviction or James or Bartholomew they're the ones that feel conviction because they get it they understand it. They don't just look around at the wealth and the affluence and judge others through a standard through which they do not judge themselves. They are pure of heart, at least in this moment. And they go, who then can be saved? Jesus, if this is the standard, don't put your trust in money. Don't ever, don't ever put your hope in money. 
Don't ever put your, your hope in things. Don't ever put your hope in stuff. If this is the standard to this kingdom that you say is now here, who in the world can be saved? Because let's be honest, folks. Who here hasn't put their trust in money? Who here hasn't woken up on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning and they got ready to go to work and they can think, if I can just get a little more overtime, if I can just get a little bit more, if I can just get that raise, then my life will be better. What man, what father here hasn't woken up and thought, if I can just, if I can just climb the ladder a little bit higher, if I can just get that next promotion, then, then my family will be better, then my life will be better, then maybe we'll have, we'll have less pressure. Who here has not been worried about money? Who here has not let their emotions rise or fall on the amount of bills they have versus what's in their checking account? What man here hasn't put their hope in a bonus? Who here has not watched their joy rise or fall through the buying of things? I was driving by the shopping area near the hotel. There's a reason why those stores are so big. It's because we don't want to go there. And we want to go there not just because we really need bananas from Target that bad. There's a whole bunch of stuff in that, in those. I, I went to Academy in Texas, and I think there was one right near my hotel. There was a lot of stuff in Academy. People talk about things like shopping therapy. There's a reason why those outlets are so huge. Because in our culture, who here hasn't watched their emotions rise or fall on the things that they own? things that they possess and the money that they have who here isn't rich like me rich no 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 pastor this is the wrong town for this message there's another suburb here that really we honestly think you all need to go down into but honestly who here isn't rich see when Jesus told this story he's thinking about the whole world pastor Jesus is not just thinking about us. We compare ourselves amongst ourselves, and the Bible says that's not wise. And so we look around at our life, and, and we look around at our town, and, and when we think of this passage of Scripture, we think about all the people in those great big neighborhoods with those nice, you know, German cars or those, that, that really fast sports car that can only be driven in the summertime by, by that one guy in the city. He's got that Ferrari or Lamborghini, and he revs it. We look at just the people in our community, but when Jesus gave us this Scripture, he was not thinking about Norman, Oklahoma, or Hamilton, in Ontario he was thinking about the whole world and if we think about who this scripture is directed towards the whole world and we look at ourselves who here isn't rich everyone here is doing okay probably in comparison to the rest of the world you know the global Median income of the whole world is $1,225 a year. This means 
if you make more than $1,225 a year, you are richer than 50% of the whole world. So before you consider yourself as poor, you're probably doing okay. If you make $20,000 a year, you're in the top 12% of the whole planet. And if somehow your income breaches $44,000 a year, pre-tax, you are a one percenter on planet Earth. Maybe we should join in with Peter and we could ask ourselves the question, who then can be saved? Maybe we should join in with the disciples and ask who then can be saved. Maybe from the cry of this congregation, there, could, there would be the words, God, the bar is just too high for me to enter Jesus. Lord, the bar is just too high. Sure, when I look around at my neighbors, maybe I seem average. But when I compare myself to my brothers and sisters in the rest of the world, there is a good chance, Jesus, I'm a rich man too. I'm doing okay. You have blessed me exceedingly. And there are so many distractions in my North American culture. Who then can be saved? Maybe instead of looking around at those in the nice houses in Norman, Oklahoma, we could take a look in our hearts and we could join with Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and say, Jesus, if this is the standard for your kingdom, I don't measure up. I don't. Who can, can I be saved? Am I coming to church? Am I paying my tithes? Am I doing all this stuff as an act of futility? Can, will I make it? How can I make it in this world? You, you told me that the society that I live in is so full of distractions. How in the world will I ever be able to make heaven my home? What does Jesus say? Does he say, too bad? So sad? Did Jesus say, yeah, yeah, you know what? This is an exercise in futility. Peter, you better go back to that decent town called Bethsaida. And you, better, you better fire up those, those fishing boats. Matthew, you were doing really good as a tax collector. You, you better go back and just, you better just enjoy life because the kingdom of God is blocked from you because it's not just about whether you have money. It's about whether you put your trust and your hope in money. And there is not a person who is exempt from that. Does Jesus say that? No, no, he doesn't. Verse 27. Jesus looked at him and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. We quote that scripture for a whole bunch of things. But the immediate context I have found to be so powerful in my life, if you're trying, 
to, to get into the kingdom by yourself, the bar is impossibly high. The bar is just too high. You can't make it, and you won't make it. If you're trying to live for God in North America, you're rich, and the barrier of entry is too high, and the cost of entry is too high. We all got too many things. We all have too many distractions. It will just be too hard for us. We are all with our baggage camels trying to squeeze through an eye of a needle. It is impossible, but not for God. It is impossible for you, but not for God. With God, all things are possible. God can save anyone. God can save you, no matter who you are or where you live. All things are possible. There are too many barriers. The bar is too high. We've all put our trust in money. We've all put our trust in things. We've all become workaholics. But salvation doesn't depend upon you. It always has depended upon God. Salvation doesn't depend on you. No matter who you are, no matter what it is, Jesus is able. There are no impossible to save people with God. There are no two lost people to save with God. There is no one that is too far gone. There is no one that is too distracted. There is no one that is too lost. That the blood of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus and the grace of Jesus can not find them. I'm preaching to people. You got backsliders in your family and you're wondering, God I don't think you can save them. Yes, he can save them. God can find a way to put a camel through a needle. He can save anybody. God will go to great lengths to save people. It may be impossible for you, but it's not impossible for God. Even those that seem the least likely, even those that seem the most distracted, even those that seem unsavable, Jesus is able to save them. That was the true message that Jesus was trying to set up in Mark 6. Yes, there is conviction over the direction of my heart when I'm on this side of Calvary. But if you're on the other side and you have yet to have your sins washed, away. You have yet to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus is letting you know, yes, going into the kingdom, it's impossible for you, but by His blood, by His Spirit, through the waters of baptism, nothing is impossible to God. You can't get into the kingdom on your own, but God can get you there. You can't live a life of discipleship on your own. But God can turn you in to a disciple. And I want you to know the great lengths that God will go to save people. God will do anything in order to shake you and get your attention. God will do anything to get your eyes onto His kingdom and to bring you to an altar of repentance. Even those who seem the least likely. Even those who seem like they would never want this. That they would never want this life. God can still save them. With man, it's impossible. But not with God. With God, all things are possible. I'm not just talking 
about your healing. I'm not just talking about you when you're at your lowest. I'm talking about your life right now in North American culture. I'm talking about with your life as blessed as it is, with all the things that are around you. Yes, on your own, it's impossible. On your own, you won't be able to make it. But when you put your faith in Jesus, when you put your hope in Jesus, getting into heaven by yourself, it's as likely as a camel getting through the eye of a needle. But when Jesus is the one that is leading and directing your life, nothing is impossible. Here's what I mean. I'll be coming to a close in just a moment. Piano player, if you could come. Last year, forest fires were raging in California. I think we got some photos. We can just put some of those up. You can just cycle through them if you would. Forest fires were raging in California. It was, it was catastrophic. Lives were lost. Homes were destroyed. I remember watching the news, watching the live stream, and noticing how terrifying it was. And what was really terrifying was when I would see the, the raw videos on YouTube, not the ones that had been edited with, you know, a professional journalist speaking over it, but the ones that people made on their cell phones where they were saying goodbye to their families, not sure if they were able to make it through and they were uploading them to YouTube in case the fire overtook their vehicle. Forest fires were catastrophic. Wildfire emergency management, California fire, was alerted that 200 people were trapped in an inferno. They were completely encircled by fire. And it was inching closer and closer. 200 men, 200 women, children, all in their minivans and pickup trucks and their little crossover SUVs, completely encircled by the flame. Can you imagine all the dads in the room? What that would have been like? Try to get your family out of an impossible situation. People were recording videos and they're saying, I don't think I'm going to make it. Mom, I love you. Dad, I love you. The worry, the panic. There's no way we're going to be able to get out of this. California Fire, here's what they said about those people. They withdrew all of their forces. And they said about these 200 souls, they are beyond the ability to be saved. Beyond the ability to be saved. Let's just give up. They should have got out earlier. If they would have left sooner when we told them. But now, the fire has encircled them. And they are beyond the ability. We can't come. We can't get them. And they withdrew. But four pilots, the California National Guard, said, we don't think so. We're going to do everything we can 
to get those people out. So they spun up a Chinook helicopter built in the 70s and a Black Hawk. And they flew into the flames. You can see them here. We go to another photo. There's another helicopter there. They flew directly into the fire. Their, their, their overseers at California Fire said, it's too dangerous. Don't go. The winds are too high. You won't be able to make it. The ash and the smoke, you won't be able to see. But they said, we got to do something to save those families. No one should ever be beyond being saved. So in night vision goggles, in high winds, and old helicopters, those pilots rescued one family at a time. And today, 200 men, women, and children are rebuilding their lives because there was a few people that said, these folks aren't beyond the ability to be saved. With you, it may be impossible. But with us, we don't want to make that commitment. Jesus said, what man of you, hallelujah, having 100 sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 90 and 9 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. The, the subject of the text today is money, but it could be anything. It could be anger. It could be bitterness. It could be hurt. It could be wounds from your past. It could be a bitter divorce. It could be all kinds of immorality. It could be an ungodly lifestyle. It could be all sorts of things. And maybe there are family. Maybe there are friends that have told you, you are beyond the ability to be saved. And I want to let you know, yes, on your own you're like a family encircled by flames and no one is able to help you no one but Jesus and he is looking for you today and he says yes it may be impossible for you but it is not impossible for me if you're rich he can save you if you're poor he can save you if you're bitter he can save you if you're angry he can save you if you've made mistakes he can save you if you have failed he can save you if you are a backslider. He can save you. There is not a person that the love and the blood of Jesus cannot save. All you got to be willing to do is do what those families did. Just get on the helicopter and leave the inferno. All you got to do today Surrender your heart. Say, Jesus, I give my heart to you. If you've been inconsistent, if maybe the weirdness of COVID has stolen your spiritual passion and you're wondering if, if am I ever going to get my passion back? Am I ever going to get my prayer life back? I've never been this dry before. Yes, it may be impossible for you, but it is not impossible with God. You may have walked away. You may have failed. You may have fallen. You may have sinned. Saying, Jesus, can I be saved? On your own, you cannot drive out of the encircled inferno of sin.
But if you will just give your heart to Jesus, Jesus will save you. If you will repent of your sins, if you'll be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you will lift your hands and you'll let Jesus fill you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all you've got to be willing to do is get on that helicopter and let Jesus fly you out. All you've got to do is give your heart to Jesus and let Jesus lead you out. Don't let your baggage, don't let your stuff, don't let your sin, don't let your thing stop you reaching up to the Lord that's in this room today. Could we stand all over this room? I'm reaching this morning. I'm reaching for everyone struggling, everyone worried, everyone afraid, everyone that doesn't feel like they measure up, everyone that knows they have been distracted and the allure of the world has pulled them aside. You're wondering, am I going to be a good enough Christian for Jesus? The answer is no. But that's why he's here. It's impossible for you, but it's not impossible for God. And I'm reaching for people that would be willing in the next few moments as they get ready to sing, to lift their hands to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm putting my faith in you. Lord, I'm putting my hope in you. I'm coming to you, God, weighed down with all kinds of things, with worries, with fears, with wealth, with poverty, with hurt, with anger, with bitterness, and I can't do it on my own. So, Jesus, I'm coming to you, and I'm saying, God, you saved me. You helped me. You restore me. You take care of me. That's it. As they get ready to sing, these altars are open right now. Or you can reach right out in your seat and say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you in my impossible life. I'm coming to you in my impossible situation. But I, Lord, I know nothing is impossible for you. That's it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This altar is open on this Sunday morning. You want to surrender it all to the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to make your way down the aisle to this altar and just say, God, here's my life. Here's my heart. I need you to help me. I can't do it on my own. I've got to have you, Lord. I present myself to you today a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. There you go, all over the building now. Would you reach your hands up to Him? Can we surrender?